2014, Taylor Swift reached a new height in her career. But in the space of two years, her girl squad, a very public breakup, celebrity enemies and a recorded phone conversation sent everything crashing down. Welcome to Scandal from the Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Hello, Zara McDonald. Hello, Michelle Andrews. I know we tend to say it in a lot of episodes, but I cannot think of a more jam-packed episode than this one. Taylor Swift has had her fair share of controversies and the listeners will either be delighted or a little intimidated to find out the bulk of those controversies will be covered in this episode. In episode one, we spoke a lot about the rise of Taylor Swift. If you haven't listened to that, we do recommend going back to episode one and checking that out. This episode, unfortunately for Taylor, will be about the fall of Taylor Swift. Yeah, exactly. And as we said in the last episode, It is almost physically impossible for us to cover every single part of Taylor's life, but we are covering about as much as we can and as much as we are interested in. What I didn't know about the kind of calamitous fall of Taylor Swift, and I think that would be a fair thing to say, was that it all really happened in the space of a year. I kind of, looking back, had forgotten that it all happened so close together. Just a quick recap before we get here, though. Last episode, we spoke about the rise of Taylor Swift, the huge, crazy rise, how she broke into the music industry as a teenager, her meteoric success as a singer-songwriter, Kanye taking her stage at the VMAs, We also shared interviews that she'd done, particularly one with Rolling Stone, where she shared the sentiment that she was really worried one day that everything would dry up or everything would fall apart or, more importantly, that she would lose her reputation. Yeah, an important part of setting that stage was Taylor's fascination and obsession with being known as perfect or as close to perfect as humanly possible. She had a big hang up about being seen as a good girl and I'm putting that in quotation marks. So this episode we will see some of that perfect persona gain a few cracks. To do that, Zara, we need to head to October 2012. Alrighty, Mish. So on the 22nd of October 2012, Taylor Swift released her fourth studio album. It was, of course, called Red. Some critics have argued that it is Taylor's best album and by some critics, I think I mean you and I. Okay, I want to clarify. Red is one of my favourites. I know it's your absolute favourite. Like it's almost a perfect album in your estimation. Almost perfect. Yeah, between that and 1989. Yeah, 1989 would be my favourite. Folklore is in the mix as well. It's in my top three. I think it probably gets my bronze medal. I think there is something particularly nostalgic for people about Red because I think it was one of – I think Breakout Album is totally the wrong phrase. But the album that really cemented her fans is almost fanatical about her. Yes, it really strengthened and intensified the existing love that was already there in so many young women and young men. Red was a hit. It spent seven weeks at the top of the US Billboard 200 chart, four of its songs. So We Are Never Getting Back Together, Begin Again, I Knew You Were Trouble and Red all peaked within the top 10 songs on the Billboard's Hot 100 chart. Yeah, Rolling Stone ranked at number 99 on its 500 best albums of all time. The magazine wrote that Taylor shocked audiences by, and I quote, breaking away from country music to make a record that recalled classics by the Beatles and Prince in a way that it pulled across the pop and rock landscape and transformed every sound it touched. Mm, Now, this album was also iconic because 
because it really saw Taylor lean into something that she had dabbled in previously in her career. She had written songs about her life, yes, but in Red, I think we saw it to a higher degree. She was writing a lot about her personal life and she was really drawing on references to the famous men who she was dating, which naturally is going to kick up some publicity. By the time that Red had come out, Taylor had been linked to a few famous faces. She had dated Joe Jonas, John Mayer, Connor Kennedy and Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, a really quick aside that we wanted to include here that is really not central to the premise of this entire episode, but an anecdote I had simply forgotten is one about the relationship between Connor Kennedy and Taylor Swift. Now, I didn't forget that they dated, but I had totally forgotten that when Connor Kennedy and Taylor Swift were dating, there was a little bit of bad publicity around them surrounding a wedding, a family wedding that they attended that everyone said Taylor Swift wasn't welcome at. Yeah, I'm a major Swifty. We all know that diehard Taylor Swift fan. And I had no idea about this story. If I came across it all those years ago, I think I would have discounted it as kind of tabloid fodder, rumours, gossip, all that type of stuff. But this is a story that we cannot skip over in this Taylor Swift series because there is some meat behind it. So if you missed this when it happened all those years ago, Taylor and Connor turned up to a Kennedy family wedding uninvited. And when we say Kennedy family, we of course mean the Kennedy dynasty. We mean the Kennedys. They weren't invited to a family wedding and they didn't leave straight away. The step-grandmother of the bride went on the Today Show and alleged that Connor hadn't RSVP'd to the family wedding and asked the mother of the bride last minute if he could bring along his new girlfriend, Taylor Swift. The family said no, but Connor brought Taylor anyway. This reeks of he didn't tell Taylor Swift that she wasn't welcome and brought her anyway. Anyway, so Victoria Kennedy, the mother of the bride, also spoke to the media about this. She told the Boston Herald that, and this is a quote, I personally went up to Miss Swift, whose entrance distracted the entire event, politely introduced myself to her and asked her as nicely as I could to leave. It was like talking to a ghost. She seemed to look right past me. Now, apparently they were asked to leave twice. Rolling Stone actually put it in a, the story in a 2012 profile of her and Taylor Swift said she had no idea what happened there and put the whole thing down to a big misunderstanding. What an awkward story. What an awkward story to have the family of an ex come out and say, you were at a wedding and we didn't want you there and you didn't leave. Yeah, and when we asked you to leave, you pretended we weren't speaking to you. I don't even know what to make of this. It's literally just that confusing. Yeah, and I think it's all just to say these were some early signs that the press wasn't always just working in Taylor Swift's favour and were really kind of dogged in trying to point out cracks in that nice girl persona. Yeah. By December 2012, shortly after Red was released, Taylor was photographed for the very first time with an 18-year-old by the name of Harry Styles. Now, this relationship didn't last very long. The two reportedly broke up within a couple of months, bringing us to about January 2013. According to Us Weekly, Harry and Taylor had been vacationing in the British Virgin Islands and got into an argument that ended their relationship. Following these high-profile relationships, we did start to see around this time in 2013 magazines with front covers like Why Can't Taylor Find Love and Two-Timing Taylor. There was also that very infamous now and particularly awkward interview that Taylor Swift did on Ellen in 2013, during which Ellen showed a slideshow of photos of Taylor with different guys asking her to ring a bell if she dated them. Now, in this really awkward interview, Taylor said, this makes me feel so bad about myself. 
every time I come up here, you put a different dude up there on the screen and it makes me question what I stand for as a human being. Mm. Now, we went back and watched this, obviously, before we did this episode, and it is an awkward interview. There is no doubt about it. It's not the kind of thing you watch with hindsight and think is awkward. You watch it and you're like, oh. It makes you kind of squirm in your seat because you're watching a young woman kind of be slut-shamed on international television. And By another woman. Yeah, and I, I get it. Parts of making a celebrity uncomfortable does provide good entertainment. But I think when you put this interview in the greater context of the general slut-shaming of Taylor Swift around this time, it paints it in a slightly different light. Now, that wasn't the only time that Taylor Swift was slut-shamed at all. At the 2013 Golden Globe Awards, co-hosts Amy Poehler and Tina Fey took the opportunity of hosting to make fun of Taylor's dating life. One of Tina Fey's jokes went like this. You know what, Taylor Swift? You stay away from Michael J. Fox's son. Or go for it. No, you. she needs some me time to learn about herself. Now, in an interview with Vanity Fair, Taylor actually spoke about the perception that she was, quote unquote, boy crazy. She said, for a female to write about her feelings and then be portrayed as some clingy, insane, desperate girlfriend in need of making you marry her and have kids with her, I think that's taking something that potentially should be celebrated, a woman writing about her feelings in a confessional way that's taking it and turning it and twisting it into something that is frankly a little sexist. She wasn't wrong, but this was definitely at the time where things about Taylor Swift not holding down a relationship and dating a string of famous men were at fever pitch. Yeah. Thankfully, though, this did not deter her from writing about her experiences with the men that she dated. Naturally as well, this publicity about Taylor's dating life and which celebrity she was connected with naturally led fans to really speculate who was each song about. Like they knew that she wrote about her own life. They knew that she kind of sifted through personal experiences to create art. So when a new single would come out about a boy or a man, everyone would ask the question of, which famous man is this about? Now, Zara, one of the interesting things that we unearthed in our research for this series is the Taylor Swift and Harry Styles timeline is a little questionable. It's a really interesting story, isn't it? Because to be honest, what I do kind of respect about Taylor Swift is she knows that there's going to be that speculation and she kind of rides the wave of it. So what we know about Harry Styles and Taylor Swift and the songs that might be about him is that Red came out in October 2012. Taylor was first spotted wearing a paper aeroplane necklace similar to one that Harry wore at the time in November. She was first photographed with him in December and they broke up in January, which is all to say, that by the looks of things, she started dating Harry after Red came out. But in February 2013, a month after their breakup, when Taylor performed We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together at the Grammys and she said the line, he calls me up and is like, I still love you. (laughs) She did it in a British accent. Yeah, in a British accent. And then in the same month, she performed I Knew You Were Trouble at the Brit Awards. When the Sunday Times asked Taylor if she knew that Harry Styles was watching at the show, she said, well, it's not hard to access that emotion when the person the song is directed at is standing by the side of the stage watching. Then in August 2013, when Taylor accepted the VMA award that year for the I Knew You Were Trouble music video, she told the crowd, I want to thank the person who inspired this song. He knows exactly who he is because now I've got one of these. The camera then panned to Harry. 
But given the timeline, given the fact that we know these songs were written before the Taylor and Harry relationship, the album was released before they were even connected to each other publicly, we know these songs aren't about them. I know some people might be listening, oh, well, maybe Taylor and Harry dated in secret and we didn't know about it. That's almost impossible. Taylor was dating other people that year. There wasn't months where we weren't sure and she was single. There was only really a two-month gap where Taylor and Harry could have been connected and the songs would have all been written by then. Yeah, but she really didn't hesitate in sort of giving us a sly wink and saying, maybe though. <laughs> and it really did hype up publicity around this album. But what it also did, Mish, is it kind of sparked rumours that maybe the Harry Styles and Taylor Swift relationship was one for PR. And keep in mind here, it wasn't just Taylor that you could look back on and say, oh, she leveraged that relationship for publicity. Mm. Harry Styles did it too, <laughs> right? So reportedly... Two Ghosts and Perfect were about Taylor Swift. Yeah, so they both got two singles out of each other. I mean, Taylor gave the media the impression I Knew You Were Trouble was about Harry. She also wrote Style, (laughs) which practically used his surname to push a song. Then Harry had his own two singles. So they both probably cashed in. And if that's the case, fucking power to them. Absolute power to them. But let's fast forward to September 2014, because at this point in the story, Taylor Swift is 24 years old. She had cut her hair into a lob. She'd moved to New York and she was about to release her fifth album, her first ever pure pop album called 1989. And what a fucking album it is. I Unlike know. Speak Now or Red, this album didn't contain any songs calling out Taylor's exes in a negative way. A few of the songs like Style that we just mentioned or Out of the Woods were about her kind of wistfully looking back on past relationships, but in a more nostalgic and analytical way than the tone we had heard from her in previous albums. It felt like, I think with hindsight, she took note of the coverage around her and her love life and thought, I don't want to give rise to that, so I'm going to not write about it as much in this album. Now, in an interview with Rolling Stone, she said, different phases of your life have different levels of deep, traumatizing heartbreak. And in this period of my life, my heart was not irreparably broken. So it's not as boy-centric of an album because my life hasn't been boy-centric. She also suggested by this point that she hadn't gone out with anyone since she broke up with Harry Styles. She said, like, have not gone on a date. People are going to feel sorry for me when you write that, but it's true. She was really making a conscious effort, really sadly, to push back on this narrative that all she did was date people. Yeah, and it it really reminds you of those viral interview clips of Taylor Swift being asked on red carpets, like, are you going to walk home with a bunch of men tonight? Like, she clearly felt the need to tell the world, I am single and very much single and not dating, to try and course correct yes. where her public image was going, which is super sad. The new strategy, though, worked. 1989 in general worked. It was incredibly successful. The album sold over 1 million copies in its first week, spent 11 weeks at the top of the Billboard 200 chart, and it went on to eventually win Album of the Year and Best Pop Album at the Grammys. Yeah, and while Taylor Swift didn't speak negatively about any ex-boyfriends in the album, she did reportedly come after another female artist by the name of Katy Perry. 
In that 2014 interview with Rolling Stone that we referenced just earlier, Taylor said that one song off her upcoming album, a song called Bad Blood, was about another female musician. She didn't mention the name of this singer in the interview, but explained that for years, I was never sure if we were friends or not. She would come up to me at awards shows and say something and walk away. And I would think, are we friends? Or did she just give me the harshest insult of my life? Yeah. Taylor also said in that interview that years earlier, the artist, and I quote, did something so horrible. I was like, oh, we're just straight up enemies. And it wasn't even about a guy. It had to do with business. She basically tried to sabotage an entire arena tour. She tried to hire a bunch of people out from under me. And I'm surprisingly non-confrontational. You would not believe how much I hate conflict. So now I have to avoid her. It's awkward and I don't like it. Taylor said she was intent on not trying to create some kind of gossip fest with the song. But I kind of think she was. I mean, you don't give quotes like this. You don't write a song like Bad Blood. You don't do any of what she just did. If you don't want the gossip circle, that like whisper network to really kick into overdrive. She knew with the history of people trying to guess which songs were about her ex-boyfriends that if she came out and said, well, it's not a a guy this time, it's not even an ex-boyfriend this time, it's a public enemy, a female public enemy. People are going to do exactly the same thing. Fans and media definitely started to speculate and all of that speculation settled on it probably being Katy Perry. Now, the reason for that (laughs) is thanks to an article that had come out in a Tasmanian newspaper. Shout out to Tassie. How was this a Tasmanian newspaper that did this? Well, it came out the year before in 2013. The paper interviewed a local dancer called Lockhart Brownlee who toured with Katy Perry in 2011. He said he and two of Katy's other dancers had joined Taylor Swift's Red Tour but left the tour to rejoin Katie for her own tour. Yeah, on top of all that, Katie also dated one of Taylor Swift's ex-boyfriends, John Mayer, shortly after they split. So you have the business tension, the personal life tension and overall a pretty soured friendship. Yeah, and if that wasn't all kind of proof enough, the day after Taylor's Vanity Fair profile came out where she gave some quotes hinting about this, Katy Perry tweeted, watch out for the Regina George in sheep's clothing. Now, years later, when the feud was still bubbling away, Katy Perry actually finally explained her side of the story. She said she started it and it's time for her to finish it. There's like three backup dancers who went on tour with her and they asked me before they went on tour if they could go and I said, of course, but I would be on record cycle probably in about a year. So be sure to put a 30-day contingency in your contract so you can get out if you want to join me when I say I'm going back on. And so that year came up and I texted all of them because I'm very close with them and said, just FYI, I'm about to start. Just put the word out there. And they talked to their management and they all got fired. And I tried to talk to her about it and she wouldn't speak to me. There was a full shutdown and then she writes a song about me. (sighs) If I may make a point as well, there were quotes we said earlier in a profile where Taylor Swift said, you know, I hate conflict. I have to avoid her now. But it's like, well, you hate conflict, but you're playing this all out publicly. So it's conflict in one way or another. Yeah. It's like you hate conflict when you have to speak to someone person to person, but if you can slam them in a song similar, dare I say, to the Camilla Bell incident, 
you're okay with that kind of conflict because that conflict suits the power balance on your side. You know that your fans will back you. You know you have that cushioning of public opinion. And this kind of conflict, we just get your side of things. It's not very evenly weighted. Yeah, I I don't think it was her finest era around this time, the Katy Perry stuff. I would be surprised if Taylor Swift didn't look back on that and agree Mm. with a lot of people who say that because it just doesn't read well. It just just simply doesn't read well because not only did she write a song about Katy Perry, she made a music video starring all of her very famous girlfriends. In 2015, Taylor released the Bad Blood music video, which was basically like a homage to what had become known as her squad. It featured people like Selena Gomez, Lena Dunham, Cara Delevingne, Gigi Hadid and Carly Kloss. Very high-powered group of women. Like we are talking some of those names, Selena Gomez in particular, we're talking like A-grade celebrities and you end up with this situation when all those women are in this music video about Katy Perry. It feels like Katy Perry's being ganged up on. It feels like it's a little bit high school bully-esque. Well, it feels very much like you've got a whole group of women against one other Mm. in a music video called Bad Blood. She was photographed a lot in 2015 with her squad. And what I find interesting, again, about the power of hindsight with the squad narrative is that, again, it feels like Taylor was so hyper aware of the commentary about her love life that she lent so heavily into her friends that Mm. that became a story in and of itself. In 2015, she was posting photos of herself vacationing with the Heim sisters. She was on the cover of Vogue with Carly Kloss. She performed on stage with some of her Bad Blood music video co-stars during the 1989 world tour. She was bringing them out and making it part of her brand. Yeah, and you can understand why again, but it just wasn't executed quite right. Taylor Swift was really willing to drop some of these friends' names in interviews as well. In the Rolling Stone interview we keep referencing, Taylor talked about her famous girlfriends. While giving the journalist a tour of her $15 million apartment, Taylor pointed out some of the guests bedrooms. She said, this is where Carly usually stays. She went on to add that they met at the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show in 2014. So which was just the year before, by the way. Yeah, not very long. She pulled out a rack full of white nightgowns and said, this is a thing me and Lena Dunham have. She said, we wear them during the day and look like pioneer women fresh off the Oregon Trail. She also mentioned wanting her best friend, Selena Gomez, to move from LA to New York and how she felt so inspired by her good friend friend Lord. And again, like I'm competing with my own brain here because I'm like, she's allowed to have famous friends. She's allowed to talk about them. But you can see how slowly, very, very slowly, this began to grate on the public because it looked like there was an in crowd, the cool girls. And then there were the girls like Katy Perry left out in the cold. Yeah. She also said that she gained more girlfriends as a result of being single after breaking up with Harry Styles. So you can again see exactly what she's trying to do. She told Rolling Stone, when your number one priority is getting a boyfriend, you're more inclined to see a beautiful girl and think, oh, she's going to get that hot guy I wish I was dating. But when you're not boyfriend shopping, you're able to step back and see other girls who are killing it and think, God, I want to be around her. It's like this blazing bonfire. You can either be afraid of it because it's so powerful and strong, or you can go stand near it because it's fun and makes you brighter. Mm. There is an element of youth that comes across with these quotes, I think, like listening and hearing and sensing Taylor's own internal battle with herself about other women and trying to kind of re-engineer the internalised misogyny that the world inserts in all of us, right? 
Taylor's squad, though, brought her even more criticism than I think she ever could have anticipated. And I actually think was almost as big a focus or as big a story as her dating life. Yeah, very potentially. And this isn't even scratching the surface on some of the scandals that rocked Taylor Swift in this period. We are going to get to them, but first we need to hear from today's sponsor. All right, Mish. So by the start of 2015, Taylor Swift began dating musician Calvin Harris, whose real name is Adam Richard Wiles. This was by far her most public relationship to date. They reportedly met in Feb 2015 at the Elle Style Awards. And the very next night, they were spotted flirting and holding hands at the Brits after party. Yeah, we really saw the rise and fall of this relationship documented everywhere. Like we saw it in such embryonic stages. Things moved really quickly between Calvin and Taylor. In March, Taylor was seen attending one of his concerts. The following week, they were photographed wearing matching outfits while shopping at Whole Foods. In April, they became internet official after Calvin posted a photo of Taylor's two cats to his Instagram with the caption moment. So we had this bubbling away, right? Taylor Swift seems to be very happy in this relationship. Apart from sort of bubbling, simmering commentary that still was existing about the squad. There was not a heap going on. But then in July 2015, her reputation takes a massive hit when she gets into a Twitter feud with Nicki Minaj. Yeah, some context for those who can't remember. Nicki Minaj was upset in July 2015 because Anaconda, one of the biggest songs of 2015, if not the biggest song, wasn't nominated at the 2015 VMAs for Music Video of the Year, which now just seems bizarre because I can see every scene of that music video exactly. in, like, imprinted in my brain. I don't remember many music videos, but I remember that one and I remember it being really widely talked about and pretty iconic. A massive cultural moment. The videos that were nominated that year were Taylor Swift's Bad Blood music video, of course, for all its celebrity cameos that we referenced before, Beyonce's 7-Eleven, Ed Sheeran's Thinking Out Loud, Mark Ronson and Bruno Mars's Uptown Funk, and Kendrick Lamar's All Right. Now, Nicki Minaj was upset about this and tweeted out to the world, if I was a different kind of artist, Anaconda would be nominated for Best Choreo and Vid of the Year as well. She pointed out the huge impact the music video had on so many people and also wrote, you couldn't go on social media without seeing people doing the cover art, choreo, outfits for Halloween, an impact like that and no video of the year nomination. When the other girls drop a video that breaks records, and impacts culture, they get that nomination. And if your video celebrates women with very slim bodies, you will be nominated for Video of the Year. Now, Taylor Swift hit back at this despite the fact she wasn't mentioned in the tweet. She tweeted at Nikki, I've done nothing but love and support you. It's unlike you to pit women against each other. Maybe one of the men took your spot. Nikki responded to this naturally and said, huh, you must not be reading my tweets. Didn't say a word about you. I love you just as much, but you should speak on this Taylor Swift. Fans and other artists started weighing in on the conversation and news outlets started to report on the feud. But as The Guardian pointed out, publications like Glamour, Daily Mail and Entertainment Weekly were using photos of like Nicki Minaj pulling 
faces or looking a bit daft or simply like focusing in on her bum in their coverage. And The Guardian wrote about this saying, the underlying message is that she's wacky, unhinged and clearly the hypersensitive loser here. Ones of Swift by comparison show her looking soft, delicate and unthreatening, the victim under attack. There is no doubt that Nicki Minaj was absolutely fair in her commentary about the VMAs and all she wanted and needed was someone as powerful as Taylor Swift to say I agree with you rather than take on that sort of victim role. Yeah I also think knowing what we know now and how far we've come thankfully not far enough but still come a decent way in the last six years to not see the racial dynamic here and to kind of fall back Taylor as a white woman to fall back on the how dare you pit women against women as if all women are the same on the same level playing field when we just know for a fact unfortunately they're not particularly when it comes to industry awards shows like this it's a shame that Taylor Swift in that moment couldn't have a more bird's eye impersonal view of the situation Now, Nikki loved that Guardian story that you referenced before, Zara. It was very analytical and very intelligent and she posted a screenshot of an excerpt the day after it went viral. She tweeted it with the caption, The Guardian, just one of the many eye-opening portions of this truth-telling article. Even Katy Perry took the opportunity to subtweet about Taylor Swift's response to Nicki Minaj. She tweeted, Finding it ironic to parade the pit women against other women argument about as one immeasurably capitalises on the takedown of a woman. Mm, Finally, two days after this all went down, Taylor Swift clearly had a moment to think about her behaviour and then tweeted out a public apology. She wrote, I thought I was being called out. I missed the point. I misunderstood. Then I misspoke. I'm sorry, Nikki. Nikki then responded to that saying, that means so much, Taylor. Thank you at Taylor Swift 13. Now, everything between these two women ended up being kind of smoothed over. Things were fine. They even performed a joint mashup of their songs at the VMAs that year and hugged on stage at the end. But the damage to Taylor's reputation was done. This moment was really significant for Taylor Swift because all of a sudden people were starting to see her playing the victim. Yeah, and people didn't really like it. Things only really started to get worse here in 2016. So seven months later, things go from bad to worse. Contextually, she's still dating Calvin Harris, so we still have Calvin in the picture. But this is when Kanye West releases his very famous song, Famous. Famous. Now, as we know, things had been pretty bad between Kanye and Taylor after that VMA's controversy from many years before, but they had spent the last four or five years really trying to patch things up and their relationship seemed to be cordial at the very least. They were really trying. So in Feb 2015, Kanye told Ryan Seacrest that he and Taylor were talking about recording together. In August 2015, their relationship came full circle after she presented him with a VMA award. She also told the crowd that his album, College Dropout, was the first album that her brother and her bought on iTunes when she was 12. So as you can see, they are just dropping little hints that, you know what, that thing happened back in the past, but we're okay now. We've built a bridge. Yes. And then in February 2016, the bridge was blown up because Kanye West was dropping a new song called Famous with the lyric, I feel like me and Taylor might still have sex. Why? I made that bitch famous. Taylor was furious and so were her fans, especially since, according to Taylor's representatives, she hadn't given approval for the line. 
Her representatives told Billboard at the time Kanye did not call for approval but to ask Taylor to release his single Famous on her Twitter account. She declined and cautioned him about releasing a song with such a strong misogynistic message. Taylor was never made aware of the actual lyric, I made that bitch famous. Yeah, when Taylor got up on stage at the 2016 Grammys after winning Album of the Year, she used her acceptance speech to call out Kanye. This is what she said. And as the first woman to win album of the year at the Grammys twice. I want to say to all the young women out there, there are going to be people along the way who will try to undercut your success or take credit for your accomplishments or your fame. But if you just focus on the work and you don't let those people sidetrack you, someday when you get where you're going, You'll look around and you will know that it was you and the people who love you who put you there. And that will be the greatest feeling in the world. All right, so we have that. We put it to a side, it's simmering. We've put it on like a low heat. There's so much going on that there's a lot on a low heat at the moment. So where are Taylor and Calvin at right now? Well, at the start of 2016, they seemed pretty strong. In March of 2016, they publicly celebrated their one-year anniversary together. They posted on Instagram about it and things were looking pretty serious. At the 2016 iHeart Music Awards, she even gave him a shout out in her acceptance speech for her 1989 world tour. She said, for the first time, I had the most amazing person to come home to when the crowds were all gone and the spotlight went out. So I would like to thank my boyfriend, Adam, for that. Mm, That same month, Taylor appeared in Vogue's 72 Questions video, during which she revealed that her boyfriend i.e. Calvin, had planted an olive tree in her backyard as a Christmas present. However, from April, things seemed to change very, very quickly. Now, in April, this was the month that Taylor revealed she was the cover girl for the May issue of Vogue, and as part of that photo shoot, had bleached her hair platinum blonde. That same month, she attended Coachella for the first time, where Calvin was performing his new song featuring Rihanna called This Is What You Came For. You might remember a very famous photo that Taylor posted to Instagram of her with her white blonde hair, sunglasses, red lipstick wearing a jacket with the cover art for that new song on the back of it. This era of Taylor's life is pretty iconically known as Bleachella and I hazard a guess that Taylor Swift of 2021 would rather forget this period of time. Well, it became the period that was so marred in controversy and then just so tied to her looking differently to what we were used to. Her style changed completely. Yeah, it it was an interesting branding decision. In May, Taylor and her bleached blonde hair attended and co-chaired the Met Gala. Now, two very significant things happened that night, Mish. She met a 25-year-old up-and-coming British actor by the name of Joe Alwyn, who we will meet a little bit later, (laughs) but it was also the first time that she was filmed dancing with the British actor Tom Hiddleston. Taylor was 26 at the time. He was 35. Yeah, almost exactly a month after that video of Tom and Taylor dancing together at the Met Gala came out, People magazine exclusively reported that Taylor and Calvin Harris were done. They had been dating for 15 months and a source close to the couple told People that there was no drama surrounding the breakup, that things just don't work out sometimes. No one cheated. (laughs) 
No one asked. Yeah, well, even if they did ask, it's not really the kind of thing you remind people about. Yeah, it's like it's like one of those things where it's like, why are you bringing that yeah, up? Yeah, 100%. At first, it really did seem like an amicable breakup. On June 2nd, Calvin tweeted, the only truth here is that a relationship came to an end and what remains is a huge amount of love and respect. Taylor retweeted that, but just 13 days later on June 15, I didn't realise, I knew the timeline was quick, I just didn't realise it was this quick. It's pretty quick. Taylor was photographed kissing, holding hands and walking on a beach in Rhode Island with Tom Hiddleston. The Sun newspaper ran a story that had a photo of them kissing on the front page with the headline, Tinker Taylor snogs a spy. I love that headline so much. After those photos came out, Things really did sour between Calvin and Taylor. The same day that they were pictured kissing on that cover, she and Calvin Harris scrubbed their social media accounts of one another. And you know when photos together are being deleted or archived, shit has gone down. Meanwhile, the Kanye West famous drama was rearing its head again. Kim did an interview with GQ that came out on June 16 a day after those photos of her with Tom Hiddleston come out, alleging that Taylor had actually approved that famous lyric in a recorded phone conversation with Kanye. Here is that passage between Kim Kardashian and GQ. She totally approved that, Kim says, shaking her head in annoyance. She totally knew that was coming out. She wanted to all of a sudden act like she didn't. I swear my husband gets so much shit for things when he is really doing proper protocol and even called to get it approved. And then the journalist writes, Kim is on a roll now speaking faster and more animatedly than at any other point during our time together. The article went on and here's another quote from Kim. Taylor totally gave the okay. Rick Rubin was there. So many respected people in the music business heard that conversation and knew. I mean, he's called me a bitch in his songs. That's just like what they say. I never once think, what a derogatory word. How dare he? Not in a million years. I don't know why she just, you know, flipped all of a sudden. It was funny because on the call with Kanye, Taylor said, when I get on the Grammy red carpet, all the media is going to think that I'm so against this. And I'll just laugh and say, the joke's on you guys. I was in on it the whole time. And I'm just like, wait, but in your Grammy speech, you completely dissed my husband just to play the victim again. Felt very much like Kim Kardashian knew what she was doing here when she mentioned the concept of playing the victim, because Mm. I think it was what a lot of criticism had in common when it was levelled at Taylor during this time. It's also funny to hear Kim Kardashian be so sort of open and dramatic about things to the media because I just don't think she'd do that anymore. But in response, Taylor's representatives released another statement to Billboard saying she didn't hold anything against Kim knowing the pressure she would be under. This is so... statement from Taylor's people or this response is one of the more befuddling things that we have found in our scandal research. She doesn't hold anything against Kim knowing the pressure she would be under. So implying that Kim is only saying this because her husband's telling her to? Is that the inference with that statement? I don't know. It went on. This does not change the fact that much of what Kim is saying is incorrect. Kanye West and Taylor only spoke once on the phone while she was on vacation with her family in January of 2016 and they have never spoken since. A song cannot be approved if it was never heard. Kanye West never played the song for Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift heard it for the first time when everyone else did and was humiliated. 
To make matters far more complicated, Mish, it was around this time at the end of June in 2016 that the video, the music video I should say, for Famous was released. Now, when this video was released, it attracted a lot of attention. It went for over 10 minutes. And in the first sort of minute or two of that video, the camera pans across 11 lifelike wax figures of naked celebrities lying in bed with Kanye West. Yeah, that's absolutely right. These high-profile people were Taylor Swift, George Bush, Anna Wintour, Donald Trump, Rihanna, Chris Brown, Ray J, Amber Rose, Caitlyn Jenner and Bill Cosby. Now, notably, not only did Kanye strip down these celebrities and kind of mock up what their naked bodies might look like, he also put Rihanna in this bed next to Chris Brown, the man who assaulted and abused her. Yeah, exactly. He also had a lot of these women, including Taylor Swift, lying on their backs with their boobs or I guess the imagination of what their boobs would look like visible I think it also should be noted that his wife at the time, Kim Kardashian, got to lie on her stomach. So we only saw her back. Yeah, this is a really interesting part of the video, actually. There are no male celebrities with their genitalia exposed. That is reserved only for the female celebrities. And it's extremely creepy when you imagine Kanye West and whatever music producer, graphic designer, artist sitting in a room together, figuring out what different women's breasts must look like. Yeah, like mocking them up. It's like quite horrendous to think about. Leonard Dunham actually spoke publicly about this when it happened. She actually said that the video brought to mind Stanford University rapist Brock Turner, who was very much in the news around this time. She wrote, now I have to see the prone, unconscious, waxy bodies of famous women twisted like they've been drugged and chucked aside at a rager. Seeing a woman I love like Taylor Swift, fuck, that one hurt to look at, I couldn't look. A woman I admire like Rihanna or Anna, reduced to a pair of wax breasts made by some special effects guy in the valley. It makes me feel sad and unsafe and worried. Yeah. I actually don't think a lot of the best commentary on this music video happened when it was released. I think we almost needed time to look back and go, what the fuck was this? And how did anyone accept that this was the standard that we were going to walk past? There is a mural, literally maybe 500 metres from where we're recording this podcast, that someone, an artist, has gotten up and on the side of the building drawn naked Taylor Swift next to Kanye West and Kim Kardashian. That is still up now in 2021. That is something the Richmond train station people, anyone on a train at that station in Melbourne, sees every morning that they go to work. Yeah, it's been up for over five years now. Now, As you say, Mish, you're right. I think a lot of the good commentary around this has happened in the years since. There was a tweet that actually went viral in 2019 that said, the famous music video was straight up revenge porn, not to mention putting abuse victims next to their abusers and celebrating sexual assaulters. It was disgusting and he doesn't get enough crap for it. Now that tweet, because it was liked over 5,000 times, was reposted on Instagram and that Instagram post was actually liked by Taylor Swift. It's also interesting to me, Mish, that to this day when we've been doing research for this episode, that music video is still up on YouTube, which feels bizarre because surely in some way, shape or form, it does violate their policies. Yeah. Well, YouTube show you a banner that says this might be inappropriate content. Do you want to proceed? And it's like, why are you even standing by this as a company? Surely by 2021, 2022, we are advanced enough now to see how awful 
awful the famous music video is and accept that this should not be shown to the masses. Exactly. Now, Mish, on the same day that this music video premiered at like a title exclusive event, Mm. Calvin Harris was out on Instagram replying to a number of comments about him and Taylor that he quickly deleted. According to reports, when one fan asked what the real reason was behind the breakup, he wrote that Taylor, and I quote, controlled the media and this situation and that I had no idea what was going on. So that kind of makes it a lot worse from my perspective. As this is going on, as Calvin's sort of writing this stuff on social media and you realise actually he's not happy about this breakup, Tom Hiddleston and Taylor Swift are embarking on a very public, very worldwide romance. They took themselves on tour. Yes. In June, they were spotted dancing at Selena Gomez's Nashville concert. They were going on dates. They were pictured hanging out with Tom's mom in England. By the end of June, they were also seen making out in Rome. Tom also attended her infamous 4th of July party. Again, I'm not kidding. This is still all in the same month where there were photos of Tom sliding down a giant water slide with Cara Delevingne and Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds. Days later, they were seen in the ocean near her home with her friends and a photo went viral of him wearing an I Love TS t-shirt. What I remember as a diehard Taylor fan, I remember sitting at my desk at my old job, seeing these pap photos be published and just thinking, what the fuck is she doing? Like, what is she doing? For me, it was, what have I missed? Like, I was trying to read this being like, there has to be some bigger meaning or some bigger story for this to make sense because it's not making sense to me right now. What was behind that top? That has literally perplexed me since the day it happened all those years ago. Why was Tom Hiddleston wearing an I Heart TS top when they had been dating for all of a few weeks? She had gone through this very public breakup, this very public scandal. Was this Taylor's team trying to distract, thinking that this top or something, him being in this outfit, was going to detract from the scandal? Was it a sense of humour thing? Like she has a sense of humour, he has a sense of humour, they can poke fun at themselves. I actually still don't know. And it really does go against sort of publicity 101, which is when you're getting this many bad headlines, go to ground. Like go to ground and don't come up for air for a little while. But instead she did the opposite. She was just everywhere. And I think it took a year or two for her to learn that when bad publicity comes, the best thing you can do is disappear out of the public eye Now, if you thought that was the extent of the Calvin Harris-Taylor Swift drama, you were wrong. On July 13, may I remind you once again, this is all still within about a month of each other, reports emerged that Taylor Swift had co-written Calvin Harris's hit song, This Is What You Came For. Quite a banger. TMZ reported that Swift wrote the song and sent a demo to Calvin who loved it. So the pair went into the studio, did a full demo with Taylor singing and Calvin laying down the track as they say in the music industry, (laughs) at the time they were apparently worried that having both of their names on the track would distract from the music so she said she'd use a pseudonym. Yeah, she used a pseudonym and the two were very, very secretive about this collaboration. So much so that on the day that This Is What You Came For was released, Calvin went on Ryan Seacrest's radio show. Shout out to Ryan Seacrest, you're back. (laughs) Second time this episode. And when he was asked if he and Taylor would ever work together, he responded, you know, we haven't even spoken about it. I can't see it happening though. So they're trying to put out, when they were together, trying to put out this image of we love each other, we're in a great relationship, but we don't want to blur the lines between professional life and work life. 
According to TMZ, that quote was actually the breaking point in their relationship. Reportedly, Taylor was really hurt that Kelvin went so far to lie about her involvement on national radio and felt that he had taken their agreement of anonymity or secrecy too far. The thing about this story is if I'm going to hazard a guess, Taylor Swift was copying a bit of heat in the public eye, particularly around her relationship with Tom Hiddleston. If her team are having to come out and say there was no cheating involved, they're obviously self-conscious about the fact that it appears like there was cheating involved. She's clearly come out and said, actually, this was the breaking point of the relationship. Here's another story to talk about instead of my relationship or my new relationship. After the news broke, Calvin Harris took to Twitter to confirm that the song had in fact been written by Taylor Swift. He added that she sings on a little bit of it too. Amazing lyric writer and she smashed it as usual. He then went on and said, I wrote the music, produced the song, arranged it and cut the vocals though. And she initially wanted to keep it a secret, hence the pseudonym. He didn't stop there though. He also tweeted... Hurtful to me at this point that her and her team would go so far out of their way to make me look bad at this stage, though. I figure if you're happy in your new relationship, you should focus on that instead of trying to tear your ex-boyfriend down for something to do. He went on. So the tone started really nice and then it was just like, ah! Yeah, it started with what an incredible artiste to you're tearing me down to this I know you're off tour and you need someone new to try and bury like Katie, etc. but I'm not that guy. Sorry, I won't allow it. Please focus on the positive aspects of your, in capital letters, life because you've earned a great one. Unfortunately for Taylor Swift, Katy Perry responded to this. <laughs> she retweeted a post of hers from the year before that read, Time, the ultimate truth teller. In a separate tweet, she posted a gif or a gif, who knows how that word's pronounced, of Hillary Clinton raising her eyebrows. So by July 14, about a month after Kim Kardashian did that GQ interview, the hashtag Taylor Swift is over party started trending worldwide on Twitter. Now, what's interesting is when I thought about that hashtag, knowing Taylor Swift is over party was something that happened, I thought it was in relation to the Kanye stuff and the Kim stuff. Mm. Little did my tiny brain remember that it wasn't just (laughs) Kanye and it wasn't just Kim. It was Tom Hiddleston. It was Calvin Harris. It was everything else that was happening in these few weeks. It was Katy Perry. The media started penning articles about how much everyone hated Taylor. One of the more prickly articles around this time was actually published in news.com.au. The article opened with this line, Taylor Swift's reign is crashing down before our eyes and I'm loving every second of it. Taylor is never genuine and ultimately Taylor Swift just seems like a brat. Look, there is no doubt that Taylor made some pretty big missteps during this period. I don't think anyone can deny that, but that just seems like sexist crap to me. Mm. And to revel and enjoy someone's downfall feels like a little bit sick to me, to be honest. I think it's like... It's ugly. It's really ugly. OK Magazine ran the headline, is Taylor Swift bad for Tom Hiddleston's career? While Vox observed of the coverage at the time, somehow, as many angry observers implied, Hiddleston and his smooth as silk British accent was supposed to be better than this and, by proxy, deserving of someone better than Swift. Mm, Lots of people accused... 
Hiddleston and Swift for concocting a PR relationship designed purely for attention. Some also thought they were oddly trying to promote an upcoming music video. I remember that. Yeah. I remember people saying they're filming a music video and it's all very meta and it's about the paparazzi and that's where the I Heart TS shirt is coming into it because we're all going to laugh at ourselves in a few days. That didn't turn out. We never out. got to laugh at it. Where was our music video? Some people also thought that Tom was dating Taylor to increase his public profile in a bid to play the next James Bond or as part of an elaborate Emmy campaign. Another conspiracy was that Taylor's boyfriends, including Tom, were all there to throw us off another underground truth that Taylor was actually queer and in a relationship with Carly Kloss. The rumours were so out of hand that Tom told The Hollywood Reporter that it was not a publicity stunt and that they were very happy together. Again, if you're having to come out and clarify that it's not a publicity stunt, it's not a very good sign for the state of your relationship. And just when he thought things couldn't get worse, and I really honestly think we've said that about seven times throughout this episode, Kim Kardashian delivered the final blow on July 17, so that was just three days after the Taylor Swift is over party started trending, Kim released footage on Snapchat of the recorded video conversation of Kanye talking to Taylor on the phone. She only posted three minutes of that recording. Yeah. But enough. Yeah, it was enough. In the recording, both Kanye and Taylor talked about the line, I feel like me and Taylor might still have sex, and the recording showed that Taylor said she was okay with it. Noticeably, there was no footage of them talking about the line, I made that bitch famous, but it didn't matter. People took this three-minute recording as evidence that Taylor had lied. The Verge ran an article with the headline, Kim Kardashian used Snapchat to prove Taylor Swift was lying about Kanye West's famous. A new hashtag joined the party too. We now had hashtag Kim exposed Taylor party. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think from all reports and all of our digging and all our research, at actually no juncture did Taylor Swift lie. She never lied. She always said specifically that it was that line that she didn't get approved. I think it was just the inference that she gave that she didn't know any of it was happening that kind of maybe threw her story off a bit. Now, Kim Kardashian tweeted on July 18. Wait, it's legit National Snake Day. They have holidays for everybody. I mean, everything these days, followed by lots of snake emojis. People started flooding Taylor's social media accounts with snake emojis as a result. Yeah, this time, rather than going through her reps to release a statement... Taylor fronted the media herself. She screenshotted a long note that she had typed on her phone and posted it to both her Twitter and Instagram accounts. In that note, she asked, where is the video of Kanye telling me he was going to call me that bitch? It doesn't exist because it never happened. While I wanted to be supportive of Kanye on the phone call, you cannot approve a song you haven't heard. Being falsely painted as a liar when I was never given the full story or played any part of the song is character assassination. I'm curious on your thoughts on this, Zara, but I think it would have been stronger for her to include the line, I made that bitch famous. I think the inference that Kanye made Taylor famous is more offensive than just the phrase, that bitch. She would have done herself a greater service to include the, I made that bitch famous full quote, because that's the offensive thing that a man's looking at a young woman and saying, I'm responsible for your success. When we're looking across rap music, yes, let's have a conversation about calling women bitches and sluts and all those things. 
but the I made that bitch famous bit was the important bit and she didn't put that in her statement. I don't think it would have mattered. Really? No, I think people had made their minds up and it didn't matter how many clarifications she was going to give, nothing was going to work. Like people knew that's the line she was talking about. Her being explicit about it, I don't think in my opinion, it would have changed anything. The pylon continued. Publications ran headlines like, is America turning on Taylor Swift? Others said, Taylor Swift, liar. Fed up friends and exes expose her deepest secrets. A little later on, BuzzFeed ran an entire article called How Taylor Swift Played the Victim for a Decade and Made Her Entire Career. Mm. At the time, there were small parts of the internet in her corner, but they were pretty small. The Guardian pointed out that while she wasn't without fault, the coverage of her at this time was rooted in, and I quote, themes as old as the Bible, suspicion of successful women, resentment of unapologetic women, and need for women to know their place. The piece went on to say, Swift writes catchy songs about some ex-boyfriends, appears surprised when she wins awards, complains about how she has been represented in a Kanye West song and is never photographed with a hair out of place. Those are her crimes and they are apparently unforgivable. I love that quote so, so much. For the first time in her career, Taylor Swift went to ground. She fell completely quiet. She stopped posting regularly on social media. She stopped doing press interviews. She didn't release a new album in 2016, which broke her tradition of putting an album out every two years. She simply disappeared. And after three months of dating in September 2016, Tom Hiddleston and Taylor Swift quietly broke up. Yeah, and very soon she would completely wipe her Instagram account clean, even her profile picture. She would delete every post. She would unfollow every account. And why was that, Michelle? Because it was time for the reinvention of Taylor Swift. All of that and more on next week's episode of Scandal. Guys, thank you so, so much for listening. It's been a long one, but we got there. Another huge thank you to our researcher, Justine Landers-Hanley, who has done such good work on this series and getting this timeline in order because (laughs) it is a muddy one. A muddy and messy one. Guys, thank you so much for listening. As we often say, we are on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. We are on TikTok at Shameless underscore podcast. Come follow us and check us out. Yeah, guys, we'll be back in your ears on Thursday for another pop culture wrap. Bye. 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 